and we're live. What's going on, everyone? This is Chad Sheehan here um, with my lovely co-host, Melissa Hayden. Um, this is the Primal Performance Podcast, episode number one. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Episode Absolutely. number one. Do you like that? Um, so, yeah, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Um, like I said, episode number one, you know, the goal of this podcast, we've been talking about a podcast for a long time now. Um, yeah. Uh, the, you know, main point of this podcast and why we wanted to start this is to, um, you know, not just share information uh, and to collaborate with uh, industry leaders in yoga, strength conditioning, uh, and the, you know, broad health and wellness space, uh, but also to kind of take a deep dive into different subjects um, and then call out some bullshit, uh, you know, with the prevalence of social media today, we see a lot of, a lot of misinformation, uh, especially from people that are unqualified. You know, it's one thing to be qualified and to have a stance on something that might not be uh, specifically backed by evidence. Um, and that's okay. Uh, but when we start to see uh, the so-called influencers in the space, uh, sharing information and then general population or the, the general public, uh, taking this information that they're, um, producing and taking it as, uh, you know, good evidence, uh, in something they can implement into their lifestyle. Uh, and for people that are not just educated, but have done the work and have skin in the game, that's super frustrating. Um, so I think, and this is kind of this is going to be a topic with these we speak about today is, you know, what we see in the industry, what we think uh, uh, should change or needs to change and how we can do better. And then how you and I uh, can, uh, you know, put out quality information along with a lot of the other uh, industry leaders that we have, uh, you know, befriended and uh, that we follow and we listen to ourselves. Um but first, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, and thank you very much, Melissa Hayden. And I'm really excited to be doing this with you. I think there are a lot of, when we talk about overall health and well-being, sometimes people look um, at that in silos, like they they will go out and just focus on going to the gym or they focus on specific exercise or even a, a certain diet dietary Root and I think health is it's like a multi multi pronged stool and we have not just the physical component but the mental or the emotional component as well as your recovery and nutrition and you and I both have a lot of experience in a lot of these different areas and you know you're talking in talking about misinformation and um, the rise of social media and how that perpetuates the misinformation it can the effect. For a lot of people is really harmful and even though it's often well-intentioned by coaches trainers yoga teachers um, there are a lot of different areas where we're seeing some negative results happen you can look at disordered eating you can look at um, the harm that's done in the, the the mental and emotional side of things and i think it's a really good opportunity to take this information where we have really credible people who have um, the education and the experience combined with the ability to like critically think. I think that's another area where like people will cherry pick different studies and then not have the ability to apply it into, into their teaching, into their coaching, into their training. And it's an exciting opportunity to use this podcast um, and leverage our unique areas of expertise. Um, I guess this is probably a good time to give a little bit of background on both of us. So um, I am a yoga teacher with over, gosh, probably over 15 years experience teaching and over 25 years practicing. Um, Real quick, how many, so for those that don't know who that aren't in the yoga space, um, Accreditation comes from a certifying body. And what's the name of that again? Uh, Yoga Alliance. So the maximum amount of hours, it's usually determined via a 200 and a 500 hour 
Correct. RYT? Yeah. So through Yoga Alliance, you become a registered yoga um, registered yoga teacher, and they have 200 and 500 hour designations and E-R-Y-T, which stands for experienced, which is additional hours and time spent teaching. Oh, so, you know, having been in the yoga space for a very short period of time, having very little experience in yoga, um, and then watching you, and I've been to a couple of your trainings. I've had the pleasure of meeting some of your, um, the other professionals in your space through you, um, you know, it's easy to, you know, a lot of people have post that or on, on their bio, they have that 500 hour, um, certification. One thing that sticks out about you is, and I, I had a feeling you weren't going to share this, but you not, you haven't just, pra you're not just a practitioner of 15 years, right? Um, you also coach yoga teachers mm -hmm. on how to not just be yoga teachers and get certified, but how to be better. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what you, you, that's your main job here, right? Yeah. So that's really where I, having taught for over 15 years and practiced for over 25, I've accumulated obviously a lot of practicing hours, but a lot of teaching hours as well. And my main focus for the last several years has been in, in training, training yoga teachers at both the 200 and the 500 hour level and beyond. I think there's, you know, it's a very, one of the things that tends to be missing in the yoga space is um, this whole idea of being trauma-informed and the whole mental health side of it that is not included in a lot of 200 or 300, um, 300 hour trainings and having, we talk a lot in yoga about um, the impact that it can have on the stress response or managing stress, but we have very, a lot and not all, but a lot of trainings don't really even talk about the stress response and how complex stress can show up and how, what parts of yoga. So it's not just the physical poses, but what actual parts of yoga can help people, um, navigate stressful situations. But, um, there's also one of the areas you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, and that's it'll be something that we explore on probably future podcasts, but um, the importance of including an evidence-based approach in teaching yoga. And if you guys can hear the snorting in the background, it is Bob, who is a French bulldog, who you guys will see as we get rolling with this podcast, but um, He's, he's, he, I guess he's a co-host too. Yeah. I can't believe we didn't introduce Bob. Uh, this is actually, uh, this isn't fair, right, Bob? Yeah. So Bob's a 35 pound French bulldog. Uh, he thinks he's 135 pounds uh, with uh, that ego of his, but uh, yeah, like uh, Melissa said, if you guys hear snorting or squeaking or whatever the case may be, uh, that is Bob, uh, the other co-host. Um, <laughs> but yes, anyways, so like you were saying, uh, you know, going back to um, you know what you do, uh, what your mission is w now within the space, uh, how do you practice? Um, uh, what work do you do with uh, patients and clients uh, in the space? Uh, thank you. That's a great question. So I work both with, um, studios. I work with individual yoga teachers who want to expand their education, whether they want a really anatomy informed approach. Um, if they want more of a, they want to look into like the trauma stress side of it. I have multiple certifications in teaching trauma-informed yoga, especially to veterans with PTSD. I've worked a lot with um, first responders who have wanted to develop um, different programs to take yoga into, let's say, a firehouse um, and other areas. Um, my approach is typically anatomy-informed and evidence-based. One area that you and I have talked a lot about is the yoga space has not done well in keeping up with the current research um, that we have about movement, about um, even we're starting to see really interesting studies around the impact of meditation. And a lot of times people will say something like, you know, yoga 
yoga is scientifically proven to benefit stress. The thing is, there are a lot of components to yoga. Is it the meditation? Is it the breath work? Is it the, the yoga poses? If you are talking about the yoga poses, exactly what style of yoga was featured in the study there. So there's a lot of different components to it and really bringing, evolving this practice and the way the practice is taught so that it is inclusive and accessible for everyone. Um, so yeah, I work a lot with both individuals in terms of like mentorship and coaching, um, also with studios in helping people, whether it's leading a trauma mod or a anatomy module, um, helping with the entire 200 or 300 hour teacher training. I also um, work one-on-one -on -one with people who want to do their 200 and 300 hour as well. So, and what my big, my big thing is actually, I want people to, you know, when they practice yoga to be better at um, doing the things that like, not just the poses, but better in their everyday life. It's one of the benefits that I get from the practices that actually helps me be better in my training, which um, it's kind of hope I was hoping to segue into like your approach, because I know your approach in the training realm. You are a coach. You are also in graduate school to become a chiropractor. So you bring a lot of really um, unique aspects to training and overall health and wellness. So how about you give some? You know, real quick before getting into my background, and that's something I want to point out uh, that I appreciate a lot about uh, the work that you do is um, just like any other industry, uh, yoga, strength and conditioning, a sports specific industry. Um, there's a lot of nonsense that's spewed out from these coaches and from these uh, yoga practitioners and teachers. And seeing the work that you do in, you know, uh, breaking these things down on a boilerplate and um, picking apart the uh, nonsense and as you call it the stupid shit yoga teachers say right <laughs> like that's and I love that because there's a lot of crap that's said um, from these yoga teachers whether it's in in the class in the studio um, to their students or outside of the class on social media and on their platforms um, so yeah you know thank you for um, what you do and uh, you you make it you very digestible and applicable to those that are practicing yoga by themselves, uh, those that are practicing yoga within a studio with a full class, uh, and or yoga professionals that are uh, teaching these practices, uh, whether that be traditional hot yoga, vinyasa flow, whatever that may be. Um, so that's something I appreciate uh, greatly and something I want to really get into uh, in later episodes. And we'll touch on this today. Uh, this is more of an introductory uh, podcast just to introduce ourselves um, and then talk about like what our uh, goals um, for this podcast is. But um, yeah, I would love to, you know, touch on that a little bit more today. Um, but anyways, I am, uh, again, uh, as Melissa said, uh, strength conditioning coach, uh, have multiple certifications, uh, no need to get into uh, the list there, but um, I work with individuals, teams, um, uh, whether it's uh, high school, college, uh, and uh, middle school teams, along with um, combat athletes. So my main uh, focus right now and the larger populations that I work with are uh, combat sports athletes. So wrestling, uh, mixed martial arts. And then uh, combat individuals such as EMT, fire, uh, police. Uh, that's and uh, special forces, special operations, uh, uh, military, ex-military. Um, and then, as time has progressed, I've filtered into other sports. Uh, but yeah, just like you were pointing out, and you know, specifically with the uh, special populations community, the EMT, the fire, the police, um, traumas of a huge part in strength conditioning uh, that's uh, really untouched. It's not specifically a scope of practice or within a scope of practice for coaches, but something that needs to be spoken about, uh, you know, tools that can be uh, used by coaches um, when things come up 
and how to work around these conversations with athletes, with clients, um, and, you know, when to refer out to someone that's actually skilled in that profession. Um, but, uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and talk well, about, no, I love that. I mean, that's you and I have had so many conversations around this is, is especially in the coaching and training industry, people will come in with trauma. Let, you know, let's not just use trauma. Yes. Trauma is a broad, broad, but high, highly stressful situations. And to, for coaches and trainers to not have any kind of awareness of how the stress or trauma can show up in the physical body, whether it is in terms of, you know, maybe the person isn't ready for the workout that they have planned for them. Um, you know, long-term chronic stress and trauma can show up in the body as pain. And so some of the stupid things that let's say yoga teachers say, but also that I think trainers and coaches will say is to ignore that pain. What are the, some of the stupid sayings? Like pain is weakness leaving the body. It's actually our job, I think, as movement professionals, not to brush that kind of pain aside, but to help people start to distinguish types of pain. Yeah, wouldn't you say- Pain's more of a mechanism to say, hey, let's let's pull back a little bit here. You know, and there's different qualities of pain too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that's very important. You know, when a, a client or a patient says, ow, that hurts. Well, our first job is to say, okay, well, where does that hurt? And what does that hurt feel like? What's the quality of your pain? How would you rate the pain? You know, something that we're learning in um, my program right now is qualities of pain, locations of pain, uh, what the um, quality means. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a deep throbbing pain, it's a vascular pain. If it's a a, a, a sharp um, uh, stabbing pain, that might be more of a nervous system pain, mm-hmm. right? There are different forms of pains. And then those different forms of pains require different treatment protocols, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to coaching and pain, whether that's an emotional or a physical pain or, or both, uh, we need to know how to discern between the two and, uh, how to, you know, we need to listen. We're not, a lot of these coaches are not listening. Okay. Oh, well push, pa- push past the pain. Well, again, what type of pain is it? So let's not push past it. If it's a, you know, if it's a, a stabbing pain rather than a discomfort, well, this exercise in this particular moment might not be the best thing for this patient or client, right? So let's pull back. Let's reassess. Well, first, why is that pain happening? Is the mechanism of exacerbating that pain, the specific exercise or what? Um, I think we're going to have to do a whole like series on pain um, because it is so complex because the other piece that you're speaking to is also like in the realm of in, in, in some instances, if someone has disassociated, because let's say you don't know their history, a lot of times you will, but like, if someone is disassociated, they may not be tuned into that pain. They're, they're used to masking it. They're used to tolerating these things and pain, especially as we're exercising is your body's it's a, it's a mechanism by the body to provide feedback. Mm -hmm. And if we tune it out and push past it, eventually we're going to get to a different level of pain where the body just shuts things down because it like, as you, our nervous system is geared towards basically one thing, keeping us as an organism safe and alive and coming everything back to balance, back to homeostasis and the things that threaten that. And it's like, stress, right? Stress, trauma, you can't overload one system of the body and not have it show up in other systems. It's not like the body doesn't isolate and it doesn't discern those different types of stress. And for trainers, for yoga teachers, for coaches, not to like acknowledge that and always kind of perpetuate this like societal norm of like go hard or go home or like pushing past pain or pain as a symbol of weakness is really borderline irresponsible, I think, in the industry. And so helping our clients and our students lean into like being able to name it and then deciding, because it's not that like pain is always an indication of, of 
stopping exercise because that indicates that we might be fragile. Um, but it's actually learn, and a lot of us live with chronic pain, chronic pain, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, like I've got, you know, since you're my coach, like elbow stuff and knee stuff that shows up. And that's just a, that's a part of moving your body. And it, that kind of pain isn't necessarily like, Oh, I guess can't exercise today. It's like, no, how do we adapt the workout to manage that? But I think it's our responsibility as movement professionals, not to ignore it, but to understand the significance of pain, both how it is, it can be, you know, it can be driven by an injury or it can be driven by, but it can also be driven by something stress-related or trauma-related. And so having an understanding of, even a general understanding is really important, I think, in this profession. Yeah, and like what you said, you know, with, for example, you have medial epicondylitis, especially, you know, pain in the uh, medial elbow. Uh, you even get uh, radiculopathy down into your uh, fingers. Uh, we've kind of pointed that towards that being uh, more of a nerve root issue. Uh, and or an entrapments in your anterior shoulder. Uh, so what are things that we can do? So one, why is it hurting? Let's find root cause. Two, what are we going to do for that root cause? Three, okay, so we don't want to stop training. And for some people, they don't love training like we do. But whether you're that person or you're someone that loves training, the person that loves training is not going to want to stop training because their elbow hurts. Most people are going to push past it, right? That's never a good thing, right? So how can we adapt our training around the injury um, to continue to progress uh, while working, rehabbing that injury, and thus over time getting back to our, your normal training schedule and protocol? But that, that's super important. And like you said, that uh, what's the quote again? Pain is weakness leaving the body. Mm -hmm. That's fucking ridiculous. Um, yeah. I don't even know how I feel about that quote. It's stupid. And um, that's something that's said a lot, right? Especially by strength conditioning coaches. Um, but yeah, we need to sit back and take a deeper look um, at uh, the specific pain and why that pain's occurring. And again, going through that step-by-step -step process. Um, to, you know, if we continue to push past that pain and possibly create uh, even more pain or um, injure the athletes, well, one, that's on us. That's not on the athletes. Our job is to keep the athlete safe mm -hmm. and moving pain-free and progressing them and getting them better at their sports. And if, if it's someone in gen pop, it's definitely not our job to hurt them and have them push past pain. They should be coming to us to get better, live longer, feel better, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Move pain-free. So, well, what you're speaking to, and I, this is, this is, I think one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast is because this opens up so many different doors is like, as trainers, as coaches, as yoga teachers, like we want to be, we want to be helping people cultivate a healthy lifestyle. How long can we keep them in the gym and not just like, having their workout be just a, something they do like for an eight week block or like a 30 day challenge. It's like, it's actually, it's the key to longevity. It's the key to overall health is building exercise as a part of your daily routine, as well as recovery, as well as paying attention to your nutrition, as well as managing your mental health, um, mental health and well-being. So I think you're pointing to whether it's an athlete, whether it's an everybody gen pop is general population. Um, it's how we keep people, whether they're working with an injury, whether they're just working with chronic pain, how we keep them in the gym long-term for years and years and years. And the thing like we're taking this specific to yoga is there are a lot, a lot of the ways that this practice, especially I would say, power or vinyasa yoga, a lot of the ways that the practice is taught, um, a lot of the poses inherently are not going to be sustainable long-term for people. They rely on hypermobility or hyperflexibility and really limb length to get into. We push people into twists, into forward folds, into backward bends that are, uh, that are really focused more on um, hyper flexibility rather than a functional flexibility or fun even functional strength. So that, that'll come up definitely in future 
podcast. Is that just the culture in yoga? Um, that's a good question. I think so. The heart of what a yoga practice, it's always been inclusive. Is It's always been accessible. The yoga poses that are practiced now are really way more modern, obviously, probably within the last um, hundred years. When you say modernized, what what do you mean by that? So we talk about yoga is an ancient practice and the parts of it that are ancient are not the poses and the parts that are really healing actually are not the poses. Um, It's found more in the spiritual practices in terms and the breath work and the meditative aspects of it and the mindfulness aspect. Um, a lot of the most of the poses that we practice modern day actually are really rooted in hyperflexibility, hypermobility, and they rely on a certain limb length. If you Google just a yo- any yoga pose, whether it's like warrior two or um, tree pose or half moon, when you pull up a Google search, I guarantee you 99% of the people that are going to, of the images that they turn up are very tall, very slender, just very similar body types. Okay. They aren't well represented and these poses kind of rely on that. And so for, for some people who have a certain body type, for some people who have a certain flexibility genetically built into them, have an easier time getting into these postures. Um, but for some of us who maybe practice yoga for different reasons, a lot of the poses might not always be accessible or even comfortable. Um, so it's just, that's the whole um, reason for being more anatomy informed and knowing how the body, it's an anatomy informed within context. And you and I have had a lot of conversations around context, um, like a back squat, for example, might not be for everyone. We need more context. Like, do I want to back squat? Wait, wait. A back squat's not for everyone? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Because it needs context, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so the internet just blew up. <laughs> people are so mad at you already. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but that's the same same the the same goes for different yoga poses. Not everybody is meant to get into wheel or not everybody is meant to be able to go super deep in a twist. Um, we just want to, it's great that we know anatomy, but the other key component to that is also knowing how the body is meant to move. Um, and that I'm super excited to get deeper into that as we go in these podcasts. Yeah. You know, speaking to the, uh, spiritual, uh, component and the breathwork component of yoga, the poses may not be the more ancient side of the practice, but do you think the breath work and the mindfulness within the pose is what's powerful? It's actually the combination. So this is the, the cool thing is it's actually a combination of all of it. For some of us, especially those of us who might be more type A personality, just dropping into a meditation and expecting um, expecting to quote unquote be still or access stillness is almost unrealistic. And so we do know that there is power and benefits from meditation and mindfulness. It's combining it with the the ability to to move, the somatic experience of being in the body, plus um, layering in as you're moving intentional breath. And then that gives you a single point point of focus, which can, rather than expecting people to drop into a seated meditation which for some people can be more triggering. It can put people, especially if people are overthinkers like myself, like it puts you directly into an ability to overthink something, or it can put you into right into traumatic memories. So combining, being able to combine movement, that physical movement um, with those other practices is sort of the, the combination is really, is really powerful. But the thing is, is, and this is what I'm really passionate about, is that is not exclusive for someone going to a yoga studio. And I think that's the important takeaway for the practice is like, so just because you don't go to a yoga studio, you don't get those benefits. You can access those key parts of a yoga practice underneath a heavy bar in a weight room. I find way, like when I go to train, 
that's when I'm more focused than even when I'm on a yoga mat. Like I can, and it's not that I need to access stillness, but that single point of focus, I find I have to be like, it's all about either practice. It's about being present, right? Where your body and your brain know that they're in the same place at the same time. And there is nothing that gets me more present than before you're going to go under a heavy load, because if you're not present, then that's when an injury can occur. And I'm dealing with enough of my injuries. Like I would prefer not to add on to that. So being present is one of the biggest benefits that I get out of a yoga practice, but it doesn't always just have to occur in a yoga studio. Yeah. And speaking to the mindfulness and the meditative side of things, uh, you touched on those that don't necessarily, um, you know, you know, meditation itself doesn't work for them sitting down and getting in this flow state or whatever the fuck you see on social media these days. Yeah. Real, real quick. Well, as we're getting into this, this, cause this is a, this is a, uh, a topic that I find, uh, frustrating for myself. Uh, you go online and, and there's a million books and, um, you know, posts on social media about meditation practice. Right. And of all things, there's so much misinformation out there on that, but yet there's, a ton of literature in science written on this, but yet there's so much misinformation. If someone were to go on social media and not just read all the benefits of meditation, but also, um, you know, the uh, breathwork practices um, and the uh, postures and positions you can sit in or lie in during meditation and the length of time and the environment around you, all, all the things, you know, for, for me specifically, and you know, this, we've talked about this plenty of times. I can't just sit still <laughs> in silence <laughs> and meditate. It, I actually get even more upset and aggravated sitting in silence. Like if I'm cross-legged sitting on a pillow in a dark room, as social media would tell you to do, <laughs> I start to think about, I have an itch on the bottom of my foot. My knees bother me in this position. My back hurts in this position. I have an itch on the back of my head. I uh, am focused on my test tomorrow, or I am uh, focused on a conversation that bothered me earlier in the day. And all of these things start to come up when I sit down and try to meditate. But like you said, when you go into the weight room and you go to train, you're hyper-focused and you're mindful of everything around you, right? The same goes for me. And also like, you know, we just had this conversation last night, you know, that's, I'm looking at into bow hunting and using a, a, a compound bow uh, and target practice as a form of meditation. Uh, the same goes for my shooting. I love firearms training and target practice, whether it's indoors or outdoors, whether it's the breathing mechanisms behind the training the um, uh, trigger drawback time, the um, awareness of where you are in space and time, the target in front of you, you have a linear point out in front of you that you're focusing on. There's one sole purpose of that trigger drawback, right? Having a feeling, a tactile feedback from the firearm in your hand or the, the bow in your hands. You can relate this right to strength conditioning and in say weightlifting the mechanics of your squat or your lunge or whatever movement you're performing you know the the breath mechanics you know breathing three 360 through your diaphragm getting super tight um the tactile feedback from your feet that you're getting from the floor you know grabbing the ground with your toes making sure your heels on the ground you know, corkscrewing your feet outward into external rotation, driving your feet out in the frontal plane to tighten the abductors of your hips so that you can descend with 
X amount of load on your back safely and then come back up in that concentric motion and perform the lift. There's a mindfulness in that too, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't just need to be in yoga right? and it doesn't just need to be in strength conditioning. It could be a rower rowing crew for his, his or her college team where they're mindful of what they're doing, the execution, right? The environment around them, that might be their form of meditation, correct? So can you kind of speak more on that? And like what my, you know, much more than I do when it comes to this, I'm just sharing my experience with, for myself and when working with others. Well, I think it goes back to also this idea of context, right? There is a lot of amazing evidence and scientific research out there that tells us the benefits of meditation. The thing is, is there, it, uh, some of the studies don't specify what style of meditation it is. And that's what you're speaking to. Um, yeah. So for you, like you probably would be one of the last people that I'd be like, you know what you should do? Like a seated meditation. You and I've had this conversation, like, actually, please don't like, cause it, it makes things worse for yeah, you. How many times have I put that on my thing, my to-do list or my things to do for the day and never cross it off because I look at that. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm already a little on edge from the day. And if I go into meditation, I'm going to be even more on edge. And I think it's what we do as in a wellness industry is make people wrong by doing that, especially let's say someone with like generalized anxiety disorder, like you're already tending to overthink. And this is where the yoga industry needs to really, I think, step forward is also being like, just take a deep breath in. All you have to do is show up and breathe. Granted, we all are doing that, but for some people taking that deep breath in is triggering and it's not the right course of action. And so it's like, yes, it could be the right tool for you, but I think we as movement professionals can't be attached to it as the only tool. Like if it doesn't work for someone, like if seated meditation doesn't work for you and you can access presence and a sense of clarity, bow hunting or running or underneath a heavy bar, then that is your form of meditation. It's like, actually, let's not be attached to what it looks like, but give the person the tool where they get to decide what, if it's the tool for them in the realm of trauma too letting someone have that control is more important than the actual tool itself. And that is like, again, where coaches or trainers don't have any kind of awareness around trauma and mental health, not realizing that you unintentionally could reinforce or cause harm in that arena by pushing a certain quote or idea, like take a deep breath in, like this breath will relax you. Well, what if it doesn't? Why do you need to be right about it? Just give them a different tool and let the person decide what's best for them. Because that is, I mean, that's the thing. Do I know, like, and I, meditation, seated meditation has all of these different benefits. Absolutely. But there are times that it doesn't work and that's okay. Like, and I know a lot, especially coming out of COVID, I know a lot of um, myself being one of them, but I know a lot of yoga teachers who stepping onto their yoga mat wasn't a safe space. And that's okay. Like there, it really is like it just at that time, even with all of the different benefits, breath work, movement, the physical poses, the meditative aspect to whatever it was that you were accessing, it, it wasn't the right tool at that time. And like, I think, I think we tend to want to force that solution. Like just keep going and it'll get better. And it's like, well, it might not. Yeah. That might get tool. worse. Right. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to speak to, and we, now that we've gotten into this in later episodes, I'd love to go deep in the weeds on um, the evidence behind meditation um, in peer-reviewed research, um, but also some anecdotal evidence that you found in working with individuals and with other teachers, uh, but also different forms of breathwork practices and meditative practices. One thing I do want to touch on uh, today's in today's episode is NSDR, um, a, a guided specifically like a yoga nidra. And uh, if anyone doesn't know what NSDR stands for, it's uh, non-sleep deep rest. 
this can be in the form of uh, self-guided or um, you know a guided meditation, whether that's through a YouTube video recording uh, or a uh, another individual next to you reading off of a script, uh, yoga nidra, uh, you know. So I'll I'll have Melissa explain what yoga nidra is and the the background of it or the history of it. Uh, but real quick, so I did a training with Melissa years ago in Washington, D.C., and I am one, I can't stand working in groups of people uh, <laughs> because I'm a perfectionist and I always like to be in charge, something I probably need to work on as I open up a practice one day. Um, <laughs> but I was forced to work with um, an individual uh, or actually multiple individuals in this um, uh, in this practice during this training and we did a yoga nidra um, a script where we read yoga nidra to another individual and the room was silent we had probably 60 70 people in that room mm -hmm. that day yeah. um, trainees um, and this was actually my first positive experience with would you call it meditation? Yeah. Mindfulness? Yeah. Um, this was my first really positive experience with a, a moment in time where I sat in silence and I was focusing on very few things. And what's beautiful about the script of Yoga Nidra is it's, it's actually guiding you in what to focus on mm -hmm. at that particular point in time mm -hmm. throughout the script. And I think there's power in that. And I'll, I'll have you speak to that. But I, with, I, and I don't know how long that script takes, depending on how fast the reader reads it to you. Um, it's usually done in a slower form um, to be more relaxing. But I, I almost passed out. And this is in a room of 70 people. You know, when there's a bunch of other people reading the script to their partners as well. Um, it was it was a really powerful experience. And since then, the only meditation that's been efficacious um, for me has been an NSDR uh, type of meditation where I'm listening to a recording, whether that's on uh, Spotify or on YouTube, um, where I feel really good afterwards and refreshed and you know we can like i said in later episodes we'll get into the the science behind uh meditation practice and the benefits of of such but uh, can you speak to yoga nidra and nsdr so yoga nidra is it's a deep what to simplify it's like a deep yogic sleep um there are different i don't want to call them styles but there's lots of different ways for people to um to form a script. And the one that I think the one that we'll specifically take a look at in a later episode is based on the IRS methodology, which has a lot of science um, behind it. But it is depending on the study that you cite, 30 minutes of a yoga nidra practice can have this very similar results as three hours of deep REM sleep in your central nervous system. So it's a extremely powerful tool, especially for um, people who have trauma, complex stress, who struggle, well, you don't even have to have complex stress or trauma, but for people who struggle with sleep um, can be a restorative practice for them. And it, there are different parts of the script. It's almost like an equation, if you will, um, where there is, it's like a body scan combined with specific um, breathing practices. Um, there's a, a location of like an in, in, inner experience where you're going back and forth between opposites. So like a time when you feel tense, like experience that, and then remember a time when you were relaxed and experience that. And so being able to locate and name opposites is a, is a pretty powerful, um, pretty powerful practice. And then the whole idea of a body scan, some people will combine like a tense and relax where like when you bring your awareness to your fingers, then you tighten up your fingers and then you relax your fingers. Um, and it's again, layered with that experience of like locate a time when you were very tense and then locate it with, and then physically doing it. Um, 
plus very, plus a more intentional, usually you'll see that in a script where there's some breathing practices and it is, you go through different stages of like relaxation and there is, we'll get into the science behind it in later, um, later episodes, but even if you zone out and you actually are still subconsciously listening to the person's voice, guiding you through, um, guiding you through the different stages of relaxation and then very intentionally and consciously bringing you back and awake. Um, so it is, it's, it's one of those that's, it's a, one of the spirit, spiritual practices that is, is really powerful. Um, and it does go by different names, whether it's NSDR, Yoga Nidra, um, but it is a super powerful technique. When will you normally use Yoga Nidra in, in a context over other forms of practice? That's a good question. So it really is a powerful standalone practice. Um, it's a powerful standalone practice. And I will, you'll see it at yoga studios as its own separate class. Um, I personally will sometimes take different pieces, um, like different pieces of it and incorporate it into Shavasana. Um, I've done it just as standalone offerings with, with clients as well, or groups of people. Um, and you can have people do it online too. You can read it online, but there are tons of resources, free resources out there for it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. In later episodes, we'll have to get into, um, again, take a deeper dive into meditative practices, evidence behind them. Um, and then some tools, uh, mm -hmm. for not just, uh, those practicing yoga, but for, people that just want to be in the comfort of their own home or workplace uh, and utilize uh, meditative practice as a tool um, to, you know, Im improve lifestyle um, and possibly manage uh, stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it'll be a, it'll, it'll be a great resource. We'll turn that. We'll, we'll definitely take a look at that into future future episodes. And I, I think the one thing actually that we had, we didn't really pull into this episode, which is, which is totally fine because it didn't really naturally go there, but the whole um, idea of nutrition, it's something that both you and I have an interest in and different trainings in, um, but that will come up is the importance of, you know, fueling our body in terms of training, but, in, and also in terms of overall health, we tend to, I think, whether it's in something like a yoga nidra training, we look for these short-term or simple hacks, if you will, to make things easier, better. And sometimes there isn't like a hack, you know, sometimes like maintaining health, overall health, it's, it's, it can take a little bit of work and that's, that's okay. It's one thing in, in training yoga teachers. A lot of times I think yoga teachers, and I would argue um, trainers and coaches <laughs> tend to want this too is like you want it's not always welcome for something to to feel challenging or to feel hard as we're working on it um I know a lot of yoga teachers like when they're learning to teach yoga they, like they get very frustrated very easily in terms of cueing and um wanting to be a certain at a certain level in their career um faster and I think that shows up in a lot of different areas in people's lives too. And, you know, like in the, just in the context of teaching yoga, like it takes a lot to learn the different components, what goes in, like the anatomy, the history and the philosophy, um, the mental health side of things, and then teaching as a skill and developing all of those things. And I think as we look at, um, this podcast being like a resource for people, all things, health and well-being, nutrition is a really important aspect of it. And, you know, we tend to look at where's the, where's the protein bar that's going to get me my protein. It's like, well, there's more context around that. Your protein bar is also giving you a lot of other shitty ingredients too. You know, there's, I think a lot of different ways that we can go, um, which I'm excited to, to get into, obviously. Yeah. I mean, going back to, you know, what you said, people are looking for this one tool this one pill 
that is a cure-all, right, to all of their problems, whether that be med meditation, whether that be a supplement, um, whether that be an ice bath, uh, <laughs> or whether that be uh, train really hard and you'll lose weight, or just eat right, whatever right is, um, to lose the weight you lose the weight that you need to lose. Uh, well, first of all, who said you need to lose weight and how much weight you need to lose? What, what is healthy? What is a healthy diet? Uh, what is a, uh, a good workout or a training session? Um, what is the right temperature for your ice bath? Like these are, <laughs> these are all things that are in context, right? Yeah. And like I health, wellness, longevity, um, uh, sports performance, uh, movement performance and efficiency. We need to turn this into a global approach, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You can't just focus on the mindset. You can't just focus on the, the periodization or programming specifics and minutia. You can't just focus on the nutrition. Everything needs to be focused in on how much sleep are you getting? The quality of your sleep. What are your, you know, what's your lifestyle like? Mm -hmm. Are you eating really well throughout the week, training hard, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday going out with your friends and binge drinking and eating like crap, where you're taking two steps forward during the week and three steps back on the weekend and repeating that process every single week? And then a year down the line, why haven't I gotten better when I work so hard during the week, mm -hmm. Monday through Thursday, or Sunday through Thursday, right? Mm -hmm. So like taking that global approach to health is so important and something that I want to touch deeply on within each subject and with each component of that global health approach um, uh, through these short discussions. Uh, and then also to speak to um, leaders of the industry um, or industries and their respective fields uh, on these components of health. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have a great example, actually. So through social media and at school um, and at the gym where we train at, a, a new trend, and this should be the actually the podcasts uh, or this episode's um, title is fitness trends <laughs> today, right? Um, minimalist shoes, mm. barefoot shoes. And you know how much I love mm -hmm. my minimalist shoes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's something I pre have prescribed to for years now. I've been wearing minimalist shoes for the past five years, five years, I think it has been. I got my first pair of Vivos, Vivo Barefoot. If you haven't heard of them, you've been living under a rock. Um, but there's a, this massive swing towards the minimalist movement and the barefoot movements. And I was actually just listening to a uh, podcast with Emily uh, Spletchel, who's a uh, PhD uh, podiatrist. Uh, she's spoken all around the world. Uh, she owns the company Nabosu, which focuses on um, uh, sensory inputs for the foot via uh, textured pads and soles that go into your shoes and um, uh, soft tissue implements such as um, stippled um, mobility balls that you can kind of break in half or roll around on the plantar fascia of your foot. And she 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 had a lecture on uh, uh, or with the NS, um, NSCA uh, at the NSCA uh, conference for coaches like five years ago. And I'm listening to her talk about the um, axes of the foot and uh, movement specifics and the minutia of the anatomy and physiology of the foot and the biomechanics, not in a stick figure sense, not in even a cadaveric sense, in a sense of real life movement, functional movement. And we you overuse that word functional, but you know, the um, the arches of the foot and the fascia of the foot and how that ties into the anterior and posterior sl fascial slings of the body as we work up the chain of the human body. And I'm driving, listening to this, this speech. And this is something I'm, I, I love 
you know, foot mechanics and um, its relation to performance and uh, the understanding of how the foot should operate under load or without load and how that relates to gait analysis and gait biomechanics and then how we can use that information to point at weaknesses or where we're losing an athlete or a individual is losing energy through the kinetic chain during movements and i it, i couldn't help myself but to think like how complex this is but yet we have these fitness influencers influencers that are pushing these barefoot shoes or training barefoot or these minimalist shoes right when the book um born to run by christopher mcdougall uh came out i forget what year that was published fantastic book if you haven't read it go on amazon get yourself born to run by christopher mcdougall i believe i'm pronouncing his name properly uh but that's a phenomenal book and after that was published you saw this massive swing in people wearing vibram five finger shoes you know the mm -hmm. crazy looking um you have two you know, fingers, right? yeah i love my vibram five fingers but without understanding the specifics and application and use of these shoes from going into your scrunched up nikes with a heel drop and uh a thick three-quarter inch pad underneath your foot between your foot and the ground all the way to wearing a minimalist shoe where you have like two or three millimeters of sole between the ground and your foot and zero arch support and zero um padding for absorption well, one, the mechanical stress and kinetic energy that's placed on your the ankle joint and the bones and the um, tendinous units of the foot have increased drastically. Two, because forever when you've been wearing these shoes, you have been striking the ground with X amount of force. When you wear these thicker soled shoes, you're striking the ground with more force so you can get some tactile feedback to tell your body where you are in space and time so that your nervous system can send that information back up to your brain. Now that we take off those shoes and we're wearing Vibrams, so you just think all of a sudden your body's going to stop producing that force as we strike the ground and our, our landing phases of gait? No. So when, we, when this book came out, we saw all of this, these injuries. Podiatrists start making a lot of money. They bought yachts later that year because so many people were injuring themselves. You, without the understanding of tissue tolerance and mechanics behind switching from a your standard shoe, whether that's an Asics, a Nike, an Adidas, whatever that may be, to a minimalist shoe, Vivo, Vibrams, doesn't matter the company. The principle st still stands. We need to stop pushing out this information as a community, as an industry, without context, right? Yeah. Context is everything. And we're, we're going to keep talking about this in later episodes. Well, I think it's huge. Like, and I think it's our job as, I'm going to say movement professionals. And every time I say that, let's just assume we're talking trainers, coaches, yoga teachers, because we're all coaching movement at the end of the day. But it's our job to go deep in the weeds like that so that we have the context and then be able to deliver it to our clients and our students in like one simple cue. Because yeah. it is like, it is complex and it, there's a lot of information. And if we don't go in and we don't take the time and put in the work to understand it, then we end up pushing out information like everybody should be wearing like just get rid of your Nikes and go. And I, I'm slowly making the transition, but there are times that I want to wear my Metcons. Like I was doing a sled push the other day and I just, I feel better or rowing for some reason in Metcons. Is the transition happening to my Vivos? 
Absolutely. But it's over, it's over time. Our job as professionals though, is one to know the context, like you're saying, you're pointing to, which is really important, but then be able to communicate it to our, 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 our clients and our students in a really simple and relatable manner. But we have to go through the weeds first and get the context so that we can do that. Um, and I think that at times can be. Well, that's missing. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's a lot of the time it's missing, yeah. right? And then these people that are pushing these shoes or products have no idea the implications, mm -hmm. right? Again, the book had a fantastic, fantastic approach to the foot and the history as we evolved as a human race um, and minimalist shoes and foot biomechanics. But people take these things out of context. So it's our job as movement professionals to explain, mm -hmm. right? Like not all my athletes wear minimalist shoes. If I, I, especially my combat athletes, my combat athletes, they are training and performing barefoot. The barefoot shoes, perfect for them because they're barefoot in their sport. A sprinter a football player, the, whoever, a court athlete, a field athlete, they're in shoes with these narrow foot boxes, right? So all of a sudden, we are giving them all this tactile feedback during sports-specific training and strength conditioning within the strength conditioning facility. Then they get out in the field to perform, and that feedback changes. Not necessarily a bad thing, right? But there's a compounding effect. And then also, we have to focus on tissue, tissue tolerance too. Slowly weaning yourself into that, that shoe. Just walking in the shoe from a day-to-day -day perspective. Once a week, then twice a week, then three times a week. Oh, now we can train a little bit in them. Maybe I'll do an upper body session where I'm walking around a lot and I'm picking things up. And then, all right, let's try a lower body session in the vivos, maybe half the lower body session or things, uh, a movement that's less demanding in terms of the elastic components of the ankle and the foot joint and joints. And then over time, we can start to jump and we can start to bound and have these um, uh, multi-directional plane movements in, in the shoe or and or barefoot, right? Uh, but again, there's so much misinformation and lack of context when the fitness industry is pushing these products. And uh, yeah, I think this is the uh, moral of today's podcast is let's create context around what information we're putting out there and be able to explain in a digestible and applicable way, right? Mm -hmm. No, totally. And I think different, whatever your silo is or your area of expertise, whether it's strength and conditioning, yoga teaching, we tend to think because we have our clients, we have our students, we're like, no, like that doesn't apply to me. But the more you get outside of like your, I don't want to call it a comfort zone, but the area that you work in and you have conversations, you know, for example, I was teaching yoga in, um, in a gym, not and teaching to people who would never go to a yoga studio and being able to make the practice relatable. And like, there, like we all need to kind of acknowledge that yes, we have the people that we're working with, but there are, because of the misinformation that's out there because of different reasons, people aren't coming back. You know, whether it's to your, to your, to train with you, to your group exercise class, to your yoga studio, there are plenty of people who are coming, sure, but there's a whole population of people who aren't. You're missing out on that. Something that you out. and some that's something that you can attach to mm -hmm. and draw in, right. right? And that's what's so incredible about the practice that you teach and share is, and it also might be because you have experience in the field of strength conditioning, right? You are a certified coach. Mm -hmm. You have spent years in big box gyms, small gyms, commercial gyms working with that population and being within that population, being a member of that culture, you can relate the practice of yoga to strength conditioning. Whereas 
a whether it's a highly trained weightlifter or someone with a lesser training age goes into a yoga studio because their friend keeps ranting and raving about how great the yoga practice is. So they go in and then this person's talking when meanwhile, you know, they want to have some type of elastic component to their, their, the tissues of their hips and ankles and knees, and they want to be powerful and explosive. And then they go into this yoga practice and this teacher's like, oh, cool. You weightlift. Congratulations. I want you to hold this pose for five minutes. I want to tell you how great it is to be super flexible and, and hypermobile mm -hmm. because that's what's cool in yoga these days. Right. Meanwhile, that's not good for their body. Right. That's not good for their goals. Right. Well, and that's a, so we've got, we have, you know, different professionals, whether it's strength and conditioning, even medical professionals like go to yoga because we, there is, there's information out there, but again, maybe this is the theme of the podcast. It's missing context, you know, for your, for, yeah, for your sprinters, like your basketball players, people who actually have to have that explosive component. Do we want them overly stretching them out? No, they need their tight hamstrings to access <laughs> explosive, um, that explosiveness. And so there's, there's almost, you know, it's something that I'm super interested in. You and I have talked a lot about this, but it's like, actually, if we want to send our athletes to yoga, actually might have it complement their sport specific training protocol. So almost, you know, work with their strength and conditioning coach so that you're not working against them. Um, so there's that, but that'll come up in future future yeah. episodes. I think for our first one, this is yeah, not bad. This is awesome. I'm really happy we uh, we did this and finally get the ball, ball rolling on yeah, this uh, first episode. Um, well, listen, uh, if you've stuck with us this entire time, thank you very much. Um, we are going to, once this podcast is um, put out uh, and available to listen, uh, we're going to try to get this on, or we will get this on, um, iTunes or Apple Music and Spotify and YouTube. Uh, we will also have a uh, link in the description on these platforms, uh, linking you to our social media pages um, where we provide evidence informed approaches to training, fitness, yoga, all things health and wellness. Um, but yeah, those links will be in the description of the podcast. We will be starting a uh, page, Twitter and Instagram for the podcast specifically. And as we move further into the future and more episodes come out, we will uh, be doing uh, video recordings along with the audio recordings uh, for the podcasts. And yeah, we're going to slowly let this thing evolve. Um, we have lots of uh, things in mind and uh, interviews and discussions with industry leaders in their respective fields. I am super excited. Um, Me and too. Anything else you want to add? No. No. That's great. Yeah. No. Super excited. This is. Are we? Did, did we decide if we're doing this weekly or by or twice a month? I think we said twice a month for now yeah. uh, with our schedules. Let's mm -hmm. let's try to stick with that. And if we can do more, we will most certainly do more. Um, when we post this on Instagram, we will have that Instagram link for the podcast specifically on the description of the podcast. And if you enjoyed this, please let us know. Drop a comment uh, or a message onto our Instagram page. Uh, and let us know if there's anything that you want us to talk about, anything that you're interested in, any questions that you have. We will do a future Q&A episode or episodes um, as time progresses. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited. Again, thank you very much. This has been Chad Sheehan and Melissa Leach on the first ever episode of Primal Performance Podcast. Woo, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. See you soon. Thank you.